I do want to encourage you to take your Bibles and uh, put your coffee cups down, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 48 today. Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. As we continue through our exposition of Luke, this will be our focus for this morning. Let's look at God's word together. Luke chapter 12, I want to begin reading in verse 35. These are the words of Jesus speaking as we continue on from uh, the past weeks uh, as Jesus continues to instruct his disciples. This is what we see. Verse 35, Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. That servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is, was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Help us now to understand it so that we might live in obedience to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how is your calendar looking these days? How many of you keep a regular calendar. Think about that. How many of you look at some kind of calendar on a daily basis, whether it's written down, daily to-do list, or your phone calendar, your Google calendar, iCalendar, or that amazing planner that you got for Christmas that you're still drooling over, some of you? Most of us have some type of schedule. Even if you don't have it written down. I know for me, I have a, a regular calendar that's color-coded, cream for personal things, yellow for meetings, orange for elder things, pink, I don't know why pink, for vacation, blue, not sure why I chose blue for church events, but anyway, you get the point. You have a variety of different things that help organize and structure your lives. So much of our lives are structured or organized by colored dots or square, numbered squares. And even if you aren't keeping a calendar, someone's keeping one for you. Someone's keeping one for you. And you know, as you think about your calendars, as you think about your daily planners, 
I think it's always helpful for us to, to step back a moment and have a renewed perspective about our schedules and yes, even our calendars. As such, I'm always reminded of what the great reformer Martin Luther once said about his calendar. You've heard me refer to this quote many times before, but I think it's just so helpful. Where Luther once said, I have two days on my calendar, this day and that day. This day, the present today, this moment in which we're living right now, the, the present moment, and that day when the Lord would return and bring about his judgment and make all things new. Luther said those were the two days that were prominent on his calendar, this day and that day. His point was simple. He lived this day in view of that day. Everything he did today, he did with, with a mindfulness towards that day when Christ would return again. But brothers and sisters, how often, how often do you really think about that day? Be honest with yourself. Seriously, when was the last time you consciously gave thought to the day when Christ would return? When was the last time you made decisions and structured your, your life around the reality of Christ's return? Well, today's passage through a series of short parables is intended to do just that. It's intended to direct our attention, to, to motivate our focus, to be fixed upon that day so that we live as faithful disciples today. Jesus continues his teaching here in Luke chapter 12 to his disciples and now he returns to that period of time when he would soon depart Jesus was going to die, he was going to be raised on the third day, and then shortly afterward, he would ascend to his Father in heaven, to where he's at his right hand even now. And so he's looking towards that time when he would return to his Father, and then that time when he would come again. So we think about Jesus' first coming, and then we also think about his second coming. And oftentimes you hear the Bible talk about the last days. Well, the last days is the period of time between that first coming and the second coming, when he's ascended to the Father and, and that period of time when he would, that would exist before he would come again. Well, Jesus is now instructing his disciples how they and, and certainly how we are to live in between those defining points of history, how we are to live today in view of that day. Well, here in these series of parables, we see two main actions Jesus calls us to. One's pretty much a command, and the other is implied. But two actions that we're called to here as we follow him in anticipation of that coming day when he would return. The first thing that Jesus instructs his disciples to do is to live with an expectant readiness. He's calling us to live with an expectant Readiness, a, a watchfulness, if you will. Notice as he continues to instruct his disciples, he, he gives a twofold exhortation in verse 35. He says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Verse 36, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Stay dressed for action. 
Some translations say, uh, let your loins be girded, or gird up your loins. In the Middle East, during Jesus' time, and even today in some cultures, it was commonplace for both men and women to wear long robes that nearly touched the ground. And as such, if they were going to be engaged in any kind of strenuous activity, they would have to take a rope or some kind of belt material and tie around their waist to keep the bottom edge of the robe from from touching the ground so it wouldn't trip them if they were to fall and get hurt. And so the picture here is that one was to dress for action, to gird up their loins, to be ready to carry out any activity that was given to them, in this case, by their master. And in addition to that, this same servant is told to keep a lamp burning. Obviously, in a day when there was no things were different and people needed to prepare to have some source of light once darkness set in so you would be preparing the lamps before it got dark picture then here is of this servant with girded up loins with with uh with their with their robes fixed so that they could take action and with lamps burning which all is here a, a picture of readiness This servant was to be ready to receive the master upon his return from the wedding feast. And having prepared himself and expecting his his master's imminent return, he stands ready, prepared, watchful for this to happen. I want you to notice three things here about those who are watchful, those who are ready, those who are prepared for the return of their master. First of all, you see that it's an active readiness. The master is away, we're told, at a wedding feast. And the remaining servants are to actively wait upon him to return from this wedding feast. They take active measures to prepare themselves by doing exactly as commanded, dressing for action and keeping the lamps burning. And so you see the the picture here, that they're awake, that they're not sleeping You see that in verse 36, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. They're anticipating his return. It's not a a passive kind of waiting. It's not as if they're just passively passing the time, sitting back, relaxed, just doing their best to stay awake so when their master comes, they they can receive him. No, this is an active, anticipating kind of wait. They take active measures. The picture here is one that highlights, obviously, the second coming of Jesus. In fact, if you jump down to verse 39 and 40, Jesus gives another type parable with with reference to what he's speaking about. He says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. And then Jesus says, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So there Jesus makes clear reference to he's, he's talking about the time when he would return for his people. And he's saying through these two parables, be ready, dress for action, keep your lamps burning. Don't be like the one who is oblivious of when the thief would come, but one who knows that he will. Jesus says, that that's the exact posture that ought to be true of his followers as we anticipate his coming, which is in an hour we do not know. You may have a lot of dates on your calendar or in your planner, 
But there is one date that you can't, you can't put down, and that is the day when Jesus will come again. You, you can't schedule for that day. We don't know when that day, in fact, Jesus, we're told, Jesus himself doesn't even know when that day will be, but only the Father knows. And so the only way to plan for that day is to assume that it could be at any moment, to anticipate that that will be happening. It's an active readiness. A couple of things about this activity or this active waiting. Number one, active waiting assumes belief. In this parable, Jesus uses the imagery of a master and servants to picture himself and his followers. In other words, you can't and you won't be ready to receive the master if you don't know the master, if you're not a servant. This call to an expectant watchfulness assumes that you have received Jesus to be your Lord, to be your master, to be your savior. The servant here would be picturing that of a disciple, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And so friend, if you were watching this today and if you find yourself in a position where you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've not, you've not become a disciple, you've not become a follower, if you've not trusted in him to be your savior, your Lord, your master, then this parable would in fact be a warning to you and a calling to you to receive him as such. Don't be caught off guard if he were to return even today. And that is why we need the good news of the gospel, the fact that he came to die for our sin, that we would put our hope in him, that our sin could be forgiven so that we could be reconciled with him and be in a position of waiting for him to return for us. So it assumes belief, but number two, active waiting implies service. The servants in the parable give themselves to the service of their master. While he's away at the wedding feast, they don't sit idly by as if there's nothing to do and just sit back and watch Netflix. A Christian watchfulness is not a call to idleness. It is a call to action. Think about that. We, we all know, and Lord forbid that this would be any of us. I know none of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church members would ever be one of these people. But we all know those at school or at work who work differently when the teacher or the boss is in the room versus when the teacher or the boss is not in the room. The moment the teacher or the boss leaves, there are those who relax their activity. They let up on their work. Maybe they bring their phones out and start scrolling or whatever the case may be. But the moment the boss or the teacher returns, they, they attempt to present themselves in the best light. It's exactly the mentality Jesus is confronting here. As his followers, we are to be watchful and mindful and expectant that he could come into the room at any moment to receive us. And by the way, even while he's away, he is omniscient and omnipresent. He knows, the Lord knows us, he sees us. Active waiting implies service. It's a call for us to be active, actively waiting, anticipating at the work of the master, as we'll see as we continue on in this text. But not only is it a, an active readiness, it's a continual readiness, number two. The lamps, remember the lamps that were to be lit, are lit in anticipation of the night. 
Presumably, the master will return sometime in the night. We have reference here to the second and third watch, which is reference to how the, the, the Israelites would often categorize their days. And so the second and third watch would be sometime in the night. People, people come to different conclusions on how the, the different days or the days were divided up by time. But, but the point is, he's away at a wedding feast, presumably at night, and they're called to wait. They're called to anticipate. This, this lighting of the lamp impl- implies this perpetual watch. They, they weren't to go to bed and, and somehow set uh, an alarm so that they could wake up just prior to his coming. No, they were to be on, on the ready so that at any moment they could receive him when he returns. Friends, it's a reminder to us that we should never grow slack in anticipating Christ's return. When was the last time? This is a good question for me because I I couldn't really answer this question. When was the last time you thought, could today be the day Jesus returns? Could today be the day? When's the last time you thought that? Could today be the day Jesus comes again? And do you live out your days with that kind of expectancy and readiness? I know I often don't. I don't... Don't consciously think, could this be the day Jesus comes again? But friends, it's a good thing to think and hope for and long for and be ready for. You know, I know we Christians like to argue about a lot of things. It's a sad reality oftentimes. And one of those things is eschatology, the study of the end times. I mean, churches have split over debates about how and when Jesus is going to return. But when you read the Bible, the Bible's emphasis has a lot to say, certainly about the, 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 the ways in which Jesus will return, the things, the signs in which we can look to and, and understand and even coming to different conclusions. The, the point is that it's important doctrine for sure. But the emphasis of the Bible is not to be arguing over the when of Jesus' return, but the fact that he will. Our, our focus is not to be arguing over the when, but to be living for the when. That's the point, the emphasis of the scripture is that, listen, Jesus is going to return again. And there's different ways that we might conclude on how that's going to pan out. But the point is, is he is coming again. He's coming visibly, bodily to, to come and, and to restore all things and to call us to himself and to set up eternity. And we can discuss what we think and how we think that's all going to play out. But listen, what we lose in the midst of that kind of argument and debate is the fact that he is going to return and are we ready when he, do, when he does. That's the, that's the emphasis of scripture, to, be, to, to embrace this continual sense of readiness Here we're told to keep our lamps burning and stand ready to meet him. Friends, are are your lamps burning? Are you dressed for action? Are you anticipating the return of Jesus? Are you thinking, could this be the day? Or are you more concerned about winning a theological argument as to why it's this way and not that way? That's a sad indictment if that's where your heart is. Our hearts ought to be eagerly expecting Jesus to come for us and to be ready for when he does. It's a continual readiness, but number number three, it's a rewarded readiness. Back to verse 37. 
Notice Jesus says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Notice he says, blessed are those. Blessed are those servants who he finds awake when he comes. Those who are ready, those who are expectant, those who are looking forward to his arrival. In this parable, we see that the master does indeed return. And notice what happens. He says, blessed are those servants he finds awake. Well, how are they blessed? Look at the next sentence. Truly I say to you, he, the master, he will dress himself for service and have them, the servants, recline at table and he, the master, will come and serve them. Do you, do you hear? Do you hear what the, the master does? The master's response is unbelievable. I mean, can you imagine something like this happening on Downton Abbey? Not one episode do you have Lord Grantham who returns from some trip and then with Mr. Carson and Miss Hughes with all of the other servants being served by him at a feast in their honor. There, there's no such episode. Don't miss this blessing, folks. For those Jesus finds faithfully serving him and waiting for his return, he will in turn bless them by serving them upon his return. There will be this great role reversal of some type when Jesus comes for his own and he will serve the servants. As we think about the second coming, we, we do know that according to Revelation 19.9 that there is a great banquet awaiting us and we will be welcomed to the king's table. Now I'm not sure how all this is going to, to flesh out, but I'm, we're being told here that there is great blessing for these servants who stand ready and awake to receive the master to receive Jesus when he comes again. I'm not sure about you, but this is, I typically am not thinking about this. This is not the, the imagery I have in mind when I think of Jesus' return. I typically envision a time when we will experience his return, we will give account for our lives and be welcomed as his people into an etern eternity of joyful service and worship to the king. And yet, here, we are given this amazing picture of the king, the master himself, welcoming us to his table, where we will be the honored guest, and he himself will be the servants serving us. Brothers and sisters, and the thing about this, the beauty about this, the, the humbling reality about this is not one of us will deserve to be there. It's all of grace. Friends, this is something we should joyfully anticipate to think that there's coming a day that if we stand ready and awake in anticipation of his coming, that there's coming a day when Jesus will come and he will receive us and in some way he will be serving us. I don't know all, that, all the details of what that will be, but what an amazing, humbling reminder of the magnitude of God's grace. It's not enough just for him to save us from our sins and to give us eternity in heaven, but now we see this picture of Jesus himself stooping and, and humbling himself to serve us, the very ones who deserved condemnation. 
It's a rewarded readiness. Friends, are you waiting for this moment? Are you anticipating for this? Are you anticipating this? Are you living for this? Are you, are you being watchful? Are you living with an expected readiness? Friends, I don't know when Christ will return. None of us do. But we're to live every day. We're to live every moment in anticipation of that glorious and final day when he does. Friends, let's be reminded and encouraged that we are called to live with an expected readiness, expectful, anticipating that Christ will come again. Number two, second thing that we're called to in this passage is that as we wait expectantly, we're, we're called to strive to maintain a faithful stewardship. You see that in verses 41 through 48. And in the following verses here, notice in verse 41, as Jesus has just told these, these parables about being ready, Peter speaks up and says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Like, who are you getting at here? What are you, what are you saying? Is this, is this like disciples only material or is this like for everybody to hear? And Jesus really doesn't answer his question, but he goes on to, to give further instruction through some parable. Now, in some ways, Jesus does answer his question as he gives this instruction to this call really this exhortation which is implied and embedded in this this parable this this call to be a, a faithful and wise steward and he's saying that it's for the faithful and wise I'm calling you as my followers as my servants to be a faithful servant to be a wise servant a couple of different types of servants portrayed here and how the Lord will deal with each. Let's look at the first. Number one, God's blessings we see to the wise servant. We see how God will bless the wise servant. Verse 41 through 44, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. He speaks first to the one who is labeled wise and faithful, the wise and faithful steward, the wise and faithful manager, one who is given some level of responsibility to, to care for the needs of other servants. Could be a reference to the disciples here, but it would also include anyone with any level of responsibility to stewarding, to managing the work that the master has left. And to some degree, that's all Christians. Faithful and wise manager is one who takes any responsibility he or she has with the utmost seriousness and diligence. We're told here that such a servant, such a person, such a manager will be blessed upon the master's return. He or she will be the object of the master's favor and will be given more responsibility as a trusted servant. And Jesus' point is, is it's, it's good for you to be found that way upon his return. Again, all of us, to one degree or another, some are giving more responsibility than others, but to one degree or another, all of us are called to be stewards and managers. The details may look different, but all of us have a stewardship to maintain within the body of Christ. The question each of us are pressed to answer is this. Are we giving ourselves as faithful and wise managers of what the Lord has given us? Are we giving ourselves 
like this. He's holding out here in verses 41 through 44 an example of a faithful and wise steward. And he's holding it up as a model for us to to learn from and to, to be like. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Friends, are you managing the things the Lord is giving you well? No matter what context, as a single, are you managing as a, as a single person? Are you, are you stewarding the time and resources and friendships that the Lord has given you? Are you using it for his glory? Are you, are you serving with, with this wise and faithful manager? You're married or married with children. Are you stewarding your relationship and serving as a blessing to others as a parent are you stewarding your responsibility to instruct your child in the fear and admonition of the Lord as an employee or as a student how are you conducting your work is it as unto the Lord with an expectant watchfulness that Christ could return at any moment as one with the responsibility maybe over others how are you treating them Friends, there's many ways that we could apply this, but you and I need to understand all of us have been given a stewardship. All of us have been given some kind of responsibility within the body of Christ. And the point of this is, are you stewarding that well? Jesus here is holding this faithful and wise manager up again as as someone he commends. He's saying, this is what I desire you to be. And if you are faithful in a little, I will see that you are rewarded as such and given a stu- as a steward over all his possessions. He's affirming them. It will be blessing and reward for the wise and faithful servant. He who is faithful in a little will be given more. But not only do you see the blessing to the wise servant, you see God's warning, God's warning to the unwise servant. Look at verse 45. But if, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. There's a stark contrast here between the servant that we see in verses 41 through 44 and the servant now that we see in verses 45 and 46. This servant, once the master left, acted in wickedness. His ungodly behavior was intentional. Notice the text. But if that servant says to himself, he's, he's, he's thinking in his own mind and heart, Master's gone, he doesn't seem like he's coming back, seems like he's delayed, therefore, I'm going to act in this way. He's conscious of what he's doing. His, His ungodly behavior was intentional, he says to himself. And then he abuses the other servants while living it up with food and drink to the point of drunkenness. The servant had no true desire to serve the master and assumes that it will be Quite a while before the master returns, he's like that co-worker that when the, the boss is gone that just kicks back and just abuses the time and maybe even those around them. And yet the master returns unexpectedly. 
And the servant is called off guard and swiftly and strongly judged. Notice the language here. The master will cut him in pieces. This is figurative language of judgment. And put away with the unfaithful or unbelievers. So this is the, the punishment, the judgment for such wicked activity, such abuse of responsibility. He's cut into pieces. He is brought to judgment and put away with the unfaithful. And such a person is Christian in name only. No real desire to honor the master and steward the master's possessions. Proves himself in the end to not be a true servant. Some say it could be a reference here to false teachers. And maybe it is. But I think it should serve as a warning to all of us that there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. And when Christ does return, the justice he brings on such people will be swift and it will be lasting. Friend, I think this also serves as a warning to unbelievers. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've been in the church for some time and, and, and maybe you're not following Christ. I think this is a warning to those who are unbelievers. Maybe trying to act like believers, but truly unbelievers. This is a warning that there's coming a day and, and it's an unexpected time when, when you will be called to account for your life. Friend, do not put the Lord to test. But the text continues. Verse 46, it talks about how the master of that servant will come on a day and cut him pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Look, look at verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. I'll be honest with you, this passage is a little bit perplexing as to what, who are these servants? Are these all non-Christians? Or is this the same person throughout? Is this one servant? Is this speaking of two servants or three? The servant that's thrown, uh, that's cut in pieces and put with the unfaithful is one. Verse 47, it's a servant, knew the master's will but didn't act accordingly, He's not cutting pieces, but gets a severe beating. But then you have another one in verse 48 who didn't know the master's will, therefore didn't act accordingly, but receives a light beating. There's a lot of discussion as to, to what Jesus is getting at here, and, and, and I'll be honest, it's challenging to try to unpack it all. I think, though, my, my, my best guess, and not guess, but as I've studied this and tried to think through it, is that it could be that verse 47 is a summary statement of verse 46. It could be that this servant in 47 is kind of a summary overview of the, the previous servant. However, I think that it could be a second type servant. This is the one that's not maliciously or, in, or, 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 or violently acting in wickedness against the fellow servants and therefore cut in pieces and put with the unfaithful or the unbelievers. But this is a servant who knew the master's will but wasn't ready, didn't, didn't conduct himself in, in such a way, and therefore, upon the master's return, received a severe beating. The severe beating seems to be quite different than the cut in pieces and cast with the unbelievers. And then you see the one who didn't know, didn't know better, didn't know the master's will, and therefore didn't act accordingly, was, was still disciplined and received a beating, but it was a light one. 
So you see here that there's these varying degrees of, of judgment and discipline that's being met out. Again, the second person that received the severe beating doesn't seem to be as severe as the cut in pieces and cast away language we see in verse 46. And so if that's the case, then that servant is severely disciplined but does not lack relationship with the master. And so in verse 48, this third type similarly did not know the master's will, maybe new to the master and didn't understand it fully and failed to do it and therefore was disciplined but with a light beating. Others say, no, they're all unbelievers and you see varying degrees of judgment here. And I think that that's true. There are varying degrees of judgment in hell and there are varying degrees of reward in heaven. And so could be getting at that. It could be that the one in verse 45 and six is the one true unbelieving servant cast away with the unbelievers and the others are servants, true servants in right relationship to the master, but not faithful and therefore disciplined. I'll let you chew on that some more and think through that. Regardless of all of that, the point here is to show us, Jesus is speaking here, he's, the point he's making is that, listen, knowledge influences the severity of punishment, which is met out with various intensities. The more you know, the more you're responsible for. And you don't want to be any of these servants and I'm speaking to a people who know, largely a people who know God's word, who know God's will, know the master's will. And the responsibility that we have as we grow in this knowledge is heightened. Our judgment at the second coming will be according to our light and opportunities. I think that that's what this passage is, is getting at here. And the point Jesus is making is this. You don't want to be like any of the unwise and unfaithful servants. The only one he's holding out here as a positive example, as a, an example he affirms and, and says is blessed, is the one in verses 41 through 44. That's the kind of steward he's seeking and he desires. This text urges us towards being better hearers, but also faithful doers of the word. Whatever God has given to you, steward it. Do it well and do it with a joyful expectancy. Don't assume the master is delayed and you've got time to blow. Don't waste the time you've been allotted. Friends, the question that we should be asking when we read through a passage like this is, what are we doing with the time and the knowledge God has given us? The point of this parable, as J.C. Ryle notes, is not about justification, it's about sanctification. The point, he says, is not, is not what a man should do to be saved, but what a saved man ought to do. That is exactly right. Friends, what are you doing? Are you stewarding? Are you acting as a faithful and wise manager of what the Lord has given to you, no matter the context that you exist in, context of your life? He's urging us towards faithfulness towards being a wise manager who knows that the master could come at any moment and we want to be found not only expecting him and wait ready to receive him, but we want to be found faithful in serving him when he does come again. To avoid the judgment and the discipline that God will bring upon those who fail to do his will. 
Brothers and sisters, if Jesus were to return today, how would he find you? If Jesus were to return today, how would he find you? Would he find you watchful and ready, anticipating his coming? Or would he find you caught off guard, unprepared? Would he find you busy managing the responsibilities he's given you with, with, with grace and diligence? Brothers and sisters, think about this question. How would your life look different this week? How would your life look different this week if you were to wake up tomorrow, if the Lord gives you another day, and you were to wake up tomorrow, and at the beginning of that day said to the Lord, Lord, you've given me the privilege of being your servant. It's all of grace. You've entrusted me with your gospel and your word. You've put me in this context, in this place, at this time. Help me to steward this day well, knowing you could return at any moment. And if you were to wake up like that tomorrow, how would tomorrow be different? How would this week be different if that's the perspective you begin to live by and under, understand life from? What would that mean for how you spent your time? For how you use your resources, for what you gave attention to. Because this is a calling. Jesus is urging his disciples to be at the ready for his coming, to steward all that you've been given well and faithful. Brothers and sisters, it is certain that that day is coming. And because that day is coming, this day ought to find us ready and faithful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for reminding us of what is true. Father, thank you for putting before us the reality of Christ's return. Lord, we often lose sight of that. We often get bogged down in life and the things of this world and we lose perspective very quickly. We, we get consumed with all that's on our calendars. We get consumed with all that's before us in a given day or a given week. And we forget about what's most important. We forget about that day which ought to inform and shape all that we do today. So Lord, would you use this text to urge us on as faithful stewards, expectantly waiting for the coming of our King. Lord, as we do so, may you fill us with joy, with persevering grace, that we may run the race well, that we may keep the hand to the plow, looking and hoping for the return of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.